0: this is our advice table. Is there anything I can give you advice about? I have a lot of wisdom. (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing. I'm a professional. I'm getting married in one month. That's the scariest thing. Do you have any relationship advice I could use? (laughs) I'm getting married in a month. You are? Yeah. Oh. I know. Is that a... That's nice. Yeah. I thought you were sad for a second. Oh no. Are you in a relationship? Yeah. You are. Yeah. How long? Two months. What is the secret? Keep her happy. Do whatever she says. What if she's wrong? If she's wrong, just act like she's right or find some type of clause and whatever it is that she said to make sure that she's right. Okay. Happy wife, happy life. Happy wife. I've heard that. I'm sure you've heard that one a lot. Yeah. Mostly women tell me that. Yeah. They're like, don't be fight. You'll be glad you didn't. What about if we get into a fight? How should we handle conflict resolution? Don't argue with her. Just don't get don't into worry. a fight. Just agree with everything. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Okay. What if she's wrong? Yes, dear. What should I be paying attention to as I begin my marriage? Listen to advice from older people. Yeah. So you know That's what, what I'm not doing to right do. now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's giving me all relationship advice because I'm getting married in a month. Would you like to join us? No. You don't want to? No. Okay. She's always right, so I won't make her. Yeah. That was what he told me. He goes, don't argue. And so I won't argue And what are the two most important words? Yes, dear. Yes, dear. The most important words.
1: That is so good. That is great advice. You know, we are continuing this series. You'll be glad you did. My name's Jacob. I am one of the pastors on staff, and we are continuing this series. It's like timeless advice for troubled times. And I'd encourage you, if you missed last week, go to our podcast, wherever you download podcasts to listen to it, or you can go to YouTube and watch it because it was all about this advice of don't overthink it, which was great advice. And it spurred a lot of great conversations with myself and my wife, Anita. We talked last week about how different we both are and how we both process and overthink differently. I don't know if if you're married, You may have found out that you and your spouse are a little bit different. I mean, Anita and I, we're different even down to the way that we clean, like the way that we cook and our definition of cleaning is a little bit different. Like I am more of a generalist and Anita is a specialist which is a nice way of saying like, for me, when I clean, everything generally fits in the closet. That's how I clean. Okay. So, so when I pick up like, man, the floor looks great. The house looks great. Kitchen is done all of that stuff. But then our closet tends to look like this. I think we got a picture. That's it. Like everything shoved in the closet and it's like, don't, don't look in the closet, but everything else looks great. Now, Anita, Anita's definition of cleaning is a little different than mine. If we were to be honest, I don't know that it's actually cleaning as much as it is organizing. I'm looking at it right now and I'm getting a look. Uh, no, it's definitely cleaning. Sorry. Uh, but when Anita cleans, man, it is different when she does it, the house will look like it hasn't been touched, but the closet will look like this. Okay it'll be organized. Everything is in its place. And it's like, like that is not my wheelhouse, but that is what margin looks like. It's everything in its place. It's everything nice and neat. And you've got room and you've got space. Nothing's coming out of the door or blowing out of the room. And that is so important. My question for you is which one of those closets most closely resembles your calendar? Which one of those closets most closely resembles your schedule or your life or your pace of life, your relationships, your job, your marriage? What I know to be true is that life is not meant to be lived with no margin. And it's one thing for your closet to look like that or your car like that, But we don't want our lives to feel like if we throw one more thing on top or we try to cram one more thing in, everything feels like it's going to blow up. God intended your life to be lived with margin. I mean, so much so that it made it in the top 10. It was in the Ten Commandments and you see this in Exodus as as Moses is listing the Ten Commandments. We see this, that this is prioritized. It says you have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. Work. Where was this verse when I was 16? Every teenager now has a new life verse on Sundays. It's like, you may not do any work. This was so important to God that it gets put as one of the 10 commandments, which if you're reading, and if we have this sense of like we're in 2023, we're looking at these commandments from an ancient Hebrew text and what that looks like. And it's like, how does that make sense? Cause you've got do not murder, okay. I've got that down. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. But then sandwiched in between do not murder and do not steal is like, and also, hey, take a day off. And it's like one of these things feels like it's not like the other, but that is how important rest is to God. And you may be like, yeah, I don't think I need margin. I think I'm good. I've got a litmus test. If you are living your life and operating without margin. You may be living without margin if, if you can't remember the last time that you told someone no. I mean, the last time that you really disappointed someone because you were fighting for breathing room in your schedule. When was the last time that maybe you may be living without margin if you're always in a rush. Man, you're, you're showing up late, you're leaving early, and no matter what, you cannot seem to get your schedule right. You may need some margin if you find yourself constantly apologizing for not being able to follow through on things that you've committed to because you even forgot that you committed to them in the first place. You may need margin. That's, that's me. That's my life in the past week. So what about you? Man, this is what margin does. If you find yourself in bouts of isolation or pouring your whole world and your life into work or to substances and alcohol or drugs, these are the effects of a marginless life. And God did not intend life to be lived that way. We have to make room for margin. And that's what it is. You'll be glad you did make room for margin. That's the timeless advice. We have to make room for margin. And I just want to get a working definition of margin for us. And I think of it like this. Margin is the space between our pace and our limits. It's the space between how fast we are moving through life and how fast we can keep moving at that pace before we hurt ourselves. It's this space between how much we're carrying and how much we can possibly carry. Or I like to think of it like it's how, how much faster you can go without getting pulled over. Because that's what margin is. You can operate with your closet looking like that, that disorganized, everything's packed in. You can live that way a little while, but eventually consistently running at that pace with no margin, you will experience pain. And that's not how life is meant, but we see through scripture, God makes it such a big deal, so much so that he offers it in a powerful way. And we're going to look at the life of one guy and try to figure out what is it and what wisdom can he share about margin. The first thing that we have to do, and you can jot these notes down uh, in the Bible app, or it'll just be right here on the screens. We have to redefine our limits. You have to redefine your limits, and I know this is so countercultural today, because we're filled with these like Pinteresting memes that are like inspirational posts that are like, mm, "You are your only limit. Live without limits. The po- you are you you the possibilities are endless." And what I want you to know is it's inspirational, maybe for a workout, but it's not sustainable for life. You have to operate within your limits. And if there is one guy that had to redefine his limits through scripture, it was Moses. Moses lived four different lives. I mean, you talk about this guy that was adopted. I mean, he's, he's, he's a, a, this Hebrew that was adopted and raised in an Egyptian household. And he's raised in this kingdom, in this palace with Pharaoh. And then he loses his temper. He murders a guy. And so he gets kicked out of the kingdom. And then he spends 40 years as a shepherd. I mean, you talk about having to redefine your limits, your resources, your time, everything looks a little bit different when you're just playing watch the wheat all day in a field as opposed to living in the palace. He had to redefine his limits. And then all of a sudden, and if you ask Moses, he thought that was it for him. He thought, you know, my kids will know my name. Maybe my, my grandparents, my grandkids will know my name, but then that's, that's probably going to be it. I'll die a shepherd in this field. And then all of a sudden, Moses is in the middle of this, the largest political upheaval in history. And we get this famous where Moses is standing and talking to Pharaoh and he's saying those famous words, let my people go. And so God does. And Moses spends the last 40 years of his life wandering in a desert and he dies. And you may think that's kind of a bum deal, right? That's a little sad, but not if you ask Moses. If you asked Moses, like, man, you, your life, you redefined your limits. You, you, every single season you had to reevaluate. And, and if you asked Moses, he would go blip on the radar. In the grand scheme of things, it's not so bad, but that redefining himself, he understood that in every season, we have different limits. And honestly, some guy who lived to be 120 years old, he's got some wisdom to share. And that's what Moses did. And Moses says this, and I'll say this like with Psalms. This is a prayer from Moses in Psalms. I know Psalms we typically associate with David and the the songs of David and the wisdom from David. This is a prayer from Moses in Psalms. And Moses writes this. He says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Another translation may say, teach us to number our days. And that's what Moses says in light of all of my life and redefining my limits. We have to know our limits and understand that time is the limit. And we we're all under the same time limit. We all get 24 hours a day. And scripture is pretty clear about what happens when you get moving too quickly. Like, have you ever cut yourself while you're cooking? No margin. You ever burnt the toast because you got so many things going on and you're juggling so much and you're moving too fast, you experience pain. Proverbs says this, that enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. You know what enthusiasm without knowledge is? That's a golden retriever. It's like running around, I got so much energy, but I don't really have much know-how. It is like, that is what haste is. Haste makes mistakes. I was talking to Anita about this, like, man, you experience pain when you get moving too quickly. When I was in college, I, I, there was like a community grill. When I was in college and I, my apartment was on the ground level. And I I was dating Anita at the time and I was grilling out and I was grilling out with my friend Michael and we were grilling out and so I went over to the grill, the community grill and turned it on and then Michael and I went back and we're getting all of our stuff together to go back to the grill. So I grab it and I walk out to the grill, open it up and there's no flame. So I was like, well, that's so annoying. Now I have to wait for it to heat back up, but I have my lighter and I'll go ahead and light it. What I didn't know is that in the 10 minutes I was in the apartment, it had been on. Propane had been building up in, within that grill. And so when I put the lighter to it, whoa! that thing engulfed my face. I'm talking no eyebrows, no nose hairs for weeks. It engulfed my face. And the first thing I did was I ran to the front office to go, please tell me you have that on video. Not because I want to sue you. I just think that like it'll be an awesome story and I need it. I need video. They did not have it. But what happens is when you get moving so quickly in life, life tends to blow up in your face. We experience haste because haste makes mistakes. And when we move too quickly, three things end up happening. Our stress levels go up, our focus goes down, and our relationships suffer. See, when we get moving too quickly, our stress goes up. As, as margin shrinks, our stress expands. And as, as margin shrinks, our focus narrows. Like for me, if, I, if I'm looking at like my feet right now, like I have no margin. I can only go so far before I become a distraction to you and to myself, where I really can't effectively communicate to you because I'm more focused on not falling off the stage. You see, my focus narrows, yet as I create margin, and as I create some breathing room, I have the ability to focus on What matters, and because of those things, our relationships suffer. And God's saying, You've got to redefine your limits. You have to prune your priorities. Like, look at your schedule, look at your calendar, and do an audit. Look at it. Where are you spending your limited time and evaluate it? You've got to make some cuts because defining your limits is all about you telling time where to go and not getting to the end of the day asking, where did it all go? That's what defining your limits does because when you redefine your limits, then you can find some breathing room. That's the next thing. You've got to find some breathing room. And I know right off the bat, you're like, man, I wish. I wish breathing room were something that I could just stumble upon. I wish this were something that you could just find, but I want you to think about it differently. Did you know that God actually invented the day off? God invented the weekend. And that in and of itself makes God worthy of my praise. God invented the day off. I mean, in the creation story, we see this. It's something so incredibly important about rest that There are three things. God models rest in the creation story, and then he commands it in the Old Testament, and then he offers rest in his son, Jesus. That's how important rest is to God in the creation story. It says, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work from creation. God rested from his work not because he was tired, okay? That's not what the rest is. For, for millennia, Jewish scholars have looked at this word rest. What it is, is God was resting because he had accomplished a task. Not because he was tired, but God rested because he reigned over all. God didn't rest because he was exhausted. God rested because he had completed a task and that's what rest is for God, it's not just like taking a nap. So he models it in a creation story. And if God needed rest, how much more do we need it? And then we see the weekend and the day off happen with the Israelites and Moses. And we see this as, as the, the Israelites are wandering the desert, that God sends this miracle of manna, that manna comes down from the sky. And the Israelites, as in their wondering, they think they're going to they're take advantage of the system. There's this miracle, and manna falls from the sky, and the Israelites start to gather all the manna, and they think, we're going we're to gather it, and we're going to ship it over here, and we're going to set up a business, we're going to resell it, and we're going to make some money. And they're so disappointed when they realize that the manna expires after one day, except on Friday. On Friday, the manna lasts two days because God instills rest. God says, I'm going to make this last two days so you make sure that you don't work, that you get some breathing room and that I get some breathing room and the weekend was invented. From the beginning of creation, he modeled it and then he commanded it and then he sent Jesus to say, this is Rest. We see this in Matthew, in Matthew, uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, and we see it in Deuteronomy. He says, "Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with His strong hand and powerful arm." Moses is saying the point of the the break, the point of margin, and the point of breathing room is so that you would remember, not just because you're tired, but as a celebration that you would remember. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. He commands it. And then in the New Testament in Matthew 11, then Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, Come to me, all who were woken up at 4.45 in the morning because you live in Florida for a test. Come to me, all who have to, every single morning, you have to pack kids' lunches and try to get them out the door without killing anybody. Come to me, all who have burdens, and I will give you rest. Our rest in the New Testament, we find that in Jesus. Come to me, all who are so tired and exhausted, and I will give you rest. All who are married and you feel like your marriage is on the rocks, go to Jesus. Instead of venting on Facebook, first go to Jesus. And we have to make Jesus the priority because that's what rest is. And I know like that, that word nap, that word rest that we see, we, we substitute nap. Like Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 saying that I will give you rest. We think, we could think nap. But I know that that's not, and you know that that's not what that word breaks out to. The word that's used 12 times through the New Testament for rest is similar to the Old Testament to say that this is a, a rest that you only take after a long, hard day's work. That that's what the rest is. After you've completed a task, then you take the rest. What I know with my kids is my kids are not weary. My kids are not heavy burdened. I mean, they're they're eight, seven, and and just turned three. Like, they do not have heavy burdens. Their heaviest burden is that occasionally they have to unload the dishwasher. Okay? But as a father, I'm okay with that. Don't you know that it is just as true about your heavenly father that he does not want you so stressed all the time, so stretched thin, so just, just searching and wondering in the wilderness that God wants you to find rest in him. The point of rest is to gain wisdom. I mean, that's what Moses said in Psalm 90, 12. Moses said to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's what we hope to get out of rest and margin, which is why if we number our days, we have to make our days count. You have to make your days count. Have you ever noticed how much faster time goes the older you get? Like when you're born, you measure it in days. And then as a, as a newborn, it's like weeks and then months and, and then it's the half, like I'm not six, I'm six and a half, right? That time starts to just fly by the older we get. Well, Moses notices that and he talks about that. And I want you to see what crescendos into him saying, teach us to number our days because there's something that happens that you start to shift from anticipation of life to the realization of life. Something tends to happen, and maybe you're like me, like I'm 36. At some point, and very quickly, I will have more life behind me than I have ahead of me. And that is what wisdom is. It's realizing that that is what we are working with, and we are to make the most of it. And this is what Moses talks about. He says in the verses before teach, teach us to number our days, Moses says, Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. He's saying you've been faithful. He's lived it. You talk about redefining your limits. He has seen some stuff and he's saying from the beginning to the end, You have been there before the mountains were born, which is an incredible, uh, just little statement that the mountains, before the mountains were born, God was there. He's saying you were there before you gave birth to the earth and the world from beginning to end, you are God. Another translation says from everlasting to everlasting, which means you were here way before me, you're going to be here way after me and bookend somewhere in the middle is this blip called Moses and he's saying from beginning to end you are there you are God and he says you turn people back to dust saying return to dust you mortals and I know this is like that we may struggle with this verse we're in 2023 and it's, it's hard to understand. I've, I've seen someone, commentators say like, this, is, this was like God's Gandalf moment, like you shall not pass and turn to dust. But what you have to understand is this is Moses saying, I have seen people come and go. I have lived through so much from the palace, to being a shepherd, to the political upheaval, to your miracles and parting the sea. I've seen it all and you have not changed. He's saying, you control all. You are powerful, alpha and omega from beginning to end. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. Moses is saying that time for God is like a, a thousand years on earth is like a bad night's sleep to God, a thousand years and so Moses is is playing this out in his head and he's like, man, God, you have watched me. You've been with me through my, my troubles and my mess ups and my screw ups. And I, I murdered a guy and then I led your people and led God's people. And we led the Israelites. You've watched me get older. You've watched the wrinkles appear. You've watched me struggle and mess up. And yet you are still here. What I want you to understand and find hope is, is that yes, we are so insignificant, a blip on a radar. And yet, in the wilderness, and in the wandering, there God is. In the wandering, and in the wilderness, and in the disappointments that we may have, God still provides opportunities for rest. He's still sending manna from heaven, and that sustains you in Jesus Jesus is our rest. And Moses is saying, this is what happens. Life comes at you fast. Man, it does. And yet we live as if time is unlimited. And what we need to do is redefine our limits, make some breathing room, make rest a priority because we're living like we have endless time. And what I know is that it is not wise to live as if you will live forever. We're living like we're going to have our kids forever. We're living like we're going to have our parents forever. We're living like we may have our spouse forever. Teach us to number our days because our days count. And from beginning to end, the same God that sent manna from heaven is here in the room today, right here, right now to say, I sent my son a gift that there's nothing you could earn. There's nothing you could do that the whole point of my son is to have a relationship with you so that you might finally get a breather. So that you may finally have hope because if you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you've not said yes or accepted the gift of the son of Jesus Christ and what he did on a cross, you feel the weight because you have it. And that's what Jesus came to do. God is saying, give me your burdens. Let me be your rest. When was the last time? I mean, how are we supposed to rest if we never slow down long enough to lean into Jesus? You have an opportunity right here, right now to find rest in Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? If that's you here in this place and you want to find some rest and you haven't started a relationship with the God of the universe, man, you have an opportunity right here, right now. And I, I know it's, it's eternity and it affects and changes your eternity, but it drastically changes your life right here, right now. You could start that relationship just by praying this prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. You just, just repeat after me. Say it just between you and God. Just say, dear God, I know that I have sinned. I ask that you forgive my sins, come into my heart, be the leader and savior forever. Let me find rest in you. And it is in the mighty, perfect and precious name of Jesus. Amen.